right, time for Miami Sports Pod. And boy, are things heating up in Miami with some really what was a busy weekend. Will Manso, Clay Ferrero, and obviously we're going to touch on the Dolphins, but Clay, we also have the Heat uh, getting ready to start. We got a little uh, details as far as when their season's going to start. More importantly, free agency trades, things like that. And the Marlins making history by hiring the first female general manager in the history of any of the major sports in Kim Ang. So we'll reference that as well, uh, deservedly so. But let's start with the Miami Dolphins at 6-3, and three, five straight wins. Tua Tagovailoa will never lose as an NFL starter. <laughs> Certainly looks like it at this point. 3-0. Oh. Like you know what I loved about this one, too, was it was obviously billed as Tua against Justin Herbert. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was the Herald that even had the headline, you know, Tua outduels Herbert. Tua's team beat Justin Herbert's team. And I think, you know, what we've kind of said for the last few weeks, and I, I, especially after the win over the Rams, was let's stop focusing on the numbers when it comes to Tua right now, when we're comparing him to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, because he is in a much different situation. He doesn't have to throw the ball 40, what he threw, well, 25 times on Sunday. His responsibility is much different than those two guys. His responsibility is leading a team to victories that is fighting for a division championship and perhaps a playoff run, whereas the, the Chargers and, and the Cincinnati Bengals are not heading there. So, you know, what I thought you saw on Sunday was, some of that talent that Justin Herbert has that, that I think made the decision tough for the Dolphins, but also a little bit of the recklessness. But I thought more than anything, you saw that the Dolphins are just a much better team and that Tua can play point guard with this team. And, and if, if you're going to run a winning team, that's the most important thing. Be the point guard. Don't turn over the football and find ways to win games. And he did that on Sunday. You're right. And, you know, there's. I know that people hate the term game manager. And Tua, by the way, let me just reference it, is not a game manager. They're not asking to be a game manager. But what the Dolphins are doing is asking Tua to kind of see how the game goes. So a game manager, a lot of QBs hate that because that means that, that the team maybe doesn't trust you to be the one that wins the game. It's not all the case with the Dolphins and Tua. Even as a rookie, we saw it in the Arizona game. They trust him, put the ball in his hands to make a play. But I think what Tua has done, and it was to your point, what you were just hitting on now, is that he doesn't have to throw it 40, 45 times, but if he did in a game, and it will happen at some point this season, He'll do it, mm -hmm. and they feel comfortable that he can do it. But they have, and Brian Flores is like a broken record. It's a team game. It's a team win. It's the offense, the defense, the special team. So you know what? I know that's a cliche, but the Dolphins are winning because of offense, defense, special teams. Take Sunday for an example. You know, you had to make a couple nice plays. You had, you know, Salman Akbar. I mean, where's this guy come out of all, all of a sudden, you know, 85 yards and a touchdown. You had the defense pressure Herbert the entire game, really mm -hmm. make things uncomfortable. And you had the early special teams play that set up the offense at the one-yard line off the block. So while it is a cliche, Brian Flores is right. Now, when we just hit on two, he threw the ball 25 times. I think the biggest stat to me, if you're going to look at stats, so he's started for three games and he hasn't thrown an interception. Mm -hmm. Now he threw one that looked like a like magic right yeah. through a defender's hands. <laughs> it probably, yeah. probably had to do with the spin of a left-hander. But the point being, he's not forcing things. When he needs to take a chance, he will. He's not afraid to take a shot at the end zone. When he needs to take the safe pass, he's not afraid. And when he needs to run, in particular the Arizona game he showed it, but he showed some of that elusiveness as well against the Chargers. I think you just have to be ecstatic that Tua gets it. And there will be rough moments, and there will be tough moments where he struggles. There will be moments where maybe he's part of the reason they lose a game. 
But the one thing he's done so far is he's shown he can be a big reason why they win games. And, and let's go back to last weekend's game against Arizona as we're recording this on Sunday night. And being the big reason why they won the game in the fourth quarter were some of the plays that he needed to make. And, you know, whereas you have Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow, and I keep referencing those two guys because, you know, it's just well, they're a few always going to be compared to them. Uh, it's just the way it is. I, I mean, you turned on the, the quote unquote, you know, talking heads nationally and you were, oh, Dolphins made a mistake. They should have taken, uh, they should have taken Justin Herbert. But and, isn't it funny how that was never the narrative before the draft, right? No one ever said take Justin Herbert over Tua. No, 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 no. It, just it, a few weeks ago, because everybody Tua seemed to know. Because yeah. Tua wasn't playing. Of course and, you're going to take the guy who's playing. And then you heard it more after he only threw for 60 yards because apparently people don't actually watch football games and realize that, that he didn't need to do any more than that to beat the Rams. So in the fourth quarter against Arizona and late in the third quarter, that's winning time, to steal the phrase from Pat mm -hmm. Riley and Eric Spolster. That's the truth, though. You have to be able to make the plays in those moments. And by the way, I think it's a little harder to make the plays in those moments when you haven't built up the rhythm throughout the entire game where you're throwing the football a lot. So I think Tua deserves all the credit in the world for making the plays when necessary, making the big plays when necessary, and not making the big negative plays that take you out of winning time. And, and so I, I just think... You, you mentioned it, and I'm glad you said it. Dolphins fans need to be ecstatic right now because you have a quarterback who gets it. He understands the importance of every single play, and he understands the importance and the responsibility that he has to the rest of his teammates is not to go out there and throw for 350 yards. It's to go out there and find a way to get one more point than the other guy, and yep. that's what he did on Sunday. It is. And you know, when you look at the big picture, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on Tua because I think you know as weeks have progressed, we're starting to see that Tua is a big part of the equation, but Tua is not the only part of the equation. And that's the incredible thing about this team. This team is good. And I think if there's anything you could take away from listening to this podcast today is that the Dolphins are a good football team. They have a good offense. They certainly could be better. They certainly would help if they had more weapons. I think, you know, obviously losing Preston Williams hurt, but you see guys step in at running back. You see guys step in at receiver. You know, last week, Matt Collins. This week, you've seen, you see other guys as well that try to make plays. You know, Devontae almost made an incredible play in the end zone that got reversed. But still, point being is they have playmakers, but they probably need more. They have running backs, but they probably need more consistency. Mm -hmm. Yet, guys don't make excuse. The next man up. Defensively, you see, I mean, Emmanuel Ogbo, what he's done. You see Xavier Howard got his fifth interception of the season. Uh, you see the pressure again. They devised the game plan. Brian Flores, no surprise there. The job he did in, in, in really making Herbert uncomfortable. And then special teams, this is a weekly thing. Jason Sanders missed a kick. That was a miracle. Mm -hmm. uh, he had the first one of the season, but the punt block, Jakeem Grant with some good returns. I mean, there's another guy too, Jakeem Grant. You know, he said yeah. after the game, I'm more than just a returner. Man, he is proving that. Uh, he's got a nice little chemistry going with Tua. But I think Clay, big picture, I think the bottom line is Dolphins are 6-3, and three, and it's not a fluke. No. They're a good team. No, and, and now they're a half game out of first place. And, you know, more and more you're – you're circling that game in January, whatever, uh, when they end up going to Buffalo. More and more you're circling that game. Is That really could be the de facto AFC East championship game. And, mm -hmm. and who would have possibly envisioned that coming into the year? And I think you and I both said coming into the year that we thought, especially with the extra wild card, that this team had a legitimate shot to make a run at a playoff spot. But I think especially with how strong Buffalo came out of the gates, it, it seemed like that playoff spot they were going to go for was maybe that that final wild card spot. But I, I I've just been so impressed with 
how Brian Flores has laid the foundation, and, and Chris Greer deserves a ton of credit as well, the visions that those guys came together with, and you're seeing it on both lines. You're seeing the, the bodies and the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the character traits and the physical traits that, that Brian Flores needs to run his defense his way. Remember, everybody went crazy when they had to get rid of Minka Fitzpatrick. Well, Minka Fitzpatrick's a really good football player, but he didn't want to do the things necessary to run a Brian Flores-style defense. And what you're seeing now is Brian Flores just needs guys who can go out there and are talented, but you gotta buy in, buy in, and, buy and, in and do what you're time. supposed and to they do. Are. Yeah, and it goes. And by the way, it goes for all positions, you know, because Flores is defensive mind. He uses the same theory with all his position players, and you know, Tua is no different. Tua is just asked, do what Chan and you guys work on. Work with the offense. Don't make mistakes. Take the chances when needed. Offense, defense, special teams is a very good football team at six and three. Denver next. Uh, they've got uh, actually what is it? Three games in a row against teams that they should. Beat. Dolphins are a position to put themselves in prime playoff position. And for everyone that was worried, and I don't think it's many Dolphin fans were necessarily worried, but I think nationally the narrative of like, oh my God, how do you start Tua when you've got a good potential playoff team in a race and you'd won two in a row? Well, guess what? They've won three in a row now with Tua. And do you know who was leading the NFL right up there with in interceptions uh, three weeks ago? Ryan Fitzpatrick. There they you threw go. seven interceptions. How many has Tua thrown in the last three weeks? Zero. By the way, as I mentioned, Preston Williams going down, Jordan Howard ineffective, Matt Breida going down, Miles Gaskin going down, uh, guys getting shuffled in and around, guys you didn't even know, Ahmed again, a, a guy that we didn't even know existed a, nope. a few weeks ago, is now your starting running back. I mean, the, this team is that, a team, and a lot of fun to watch. So that's the Dolphins' perspective. Uh, I think you got to be excited as a Dolphin fan, and we obviously will continue to talk about that. But now let's go to the Heat, because I think as we near in the next week, Clay, I know, I know you talk about this a lot, and we talk about it off camera, and I know you're on social media you're active about it. What do you think the Heat are going to do? Are they really in a position where they can do something? And if that's the case, what is something that they can do in changing up this roster a little bit before the draft? Well, they are, and, and it's, not, it's not going to be necessarily bringing in a transformative player or a, a whale, as Pat Riley likes to call him, but... You know, I, I think you're starting to hear a little bit more of the the smoke surrounding some of the guys that could take that mid-level exception. And you know, I, this probably isn't the podcast to get into all the mechanisms of you know the if you pay the if you pay the tax and you can sign this this level player like all that. What I will say is that Pat Riley is going to do everything possible to make this team as good as he possibly can, with an eye also towards the future. Now, I, we may know within the next couple of weeks if Giannis decides to take the supermax from Milwaukee, that'll give you a better idea of where his head is at, and then Pat Riley can pivot to whatever his, his future plan will be. But throw all that out for a minute. This week, heading into the NBA draft, you can make trades, and you can also use trades involving your pick, even though you can't technically trade your pick. So the types of names that you're starting to hear a bit more are Danilo Gallinari, Who's somebody that the Heat tried to I'm trade for? I'm a big fan. For. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I like him. I, I think he's, 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 he would fit the things that they need. That's and, for sure. And this is where the pandemic and the drop in the salary cap, mm -hmm. uh, even though they, they found a way to smooth it out a bit, may actually benefit the Heat to a certain extent with somebody like Gallo because he was likely to get a, a bigger, longer-term deal somewhere. 
but he may end up ultimately having to settle for those mid-level exceptions, mm -hmm. which every team can offer basically the same amount. I think it's $9.3 million. So if you're sitting there and you're Danilo Gallinari, and the reason why you didn't want to come to Miami in the well, first place... Well, it's because you didn't think they were going to win, right? Yeah, well, no, he didn't want to commit to... The Heat wanted to only give him a one-year extension through 2021. This is per reports. And he wanted to hit free agency and be able to get a, a longer-term deal. Yeah, but Pat Riley was hoarding that... Yeah, he wasn't no. going to commit cap space for the next offseason for the little like I want. It just wasn't going to happen. And so now, as things have played out, unfortunately for Gallo, I mean, teams aren't going to have that cap space beyond mm -hmm. next year. So, you know, the Heat are going to be there like, look, you can come here and get the same amount of money, except you're not going to pay state income tax on it and play for a championship. So I think that's where the playing field is going to be a lot more level for Danilo Gallinari than it would have been before the pandemic. Um, other names you're hearing are guys like Wesley Matthews. Um, yeah, Wesley Paul, Matthews Paul and Millsap. Paul Millsap, who's, by the way, uh, been a heat killer his entire yep. career. So I, I would yep. like him on this side, even if he didn't play, just to not have him beat you on the other side. So those are the, those are the names as far as the free agency goes because you can sign those guys – you can sign those guys. You and I don't want to get into the what mechanisms about draft of it, pick? But. Do you think the heat uh, – keep that 20 pick i don't i and and i've got a, a they have a to make the pick ways. we know that they yes. have to make the pick they don't have to keep the pick so first off i, I think the heat feel like they already have their first round pick in the building in kz they love kz Paul. love KZ. Uh, love if it, for those not familiar that's the guy that they got last year ever all the tyler hero talk they went out and they got uh they drafted uh kz as well knowing that he would be a little bit more of a project not as refined than his play as tyler but they are very very high on on his ability and i want to say the heat picked Hero 14th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. My understanding was they had the, they had Hero rated 10th on their draft board and KZ Akpala rated 11th. That had Hero been gone, they would have taken Akpala with that 14th pick. Yeah, because they were in a position where they were first, because they, were, they had gotten Jimmy and they were a solid middle-of-the-pack team, yes. I think, to most people, they could they could redshirt a year, yes. basically, for Casey, whether he was their top pick or yep. whether he was the second pick for them. Which is why I think they ultimately ended up, what was it, they traded three second-round mm -hmm. picks in order to, to make move sure up to get them. Yeah. yeah. So they feel like they've already got their first-round pick for this year in last year's second-round pick, if that makes fair. any sense. fair. I agree. Yeah. Um, there is something called the Steepian rule that you can't trade – future draft picks unless you have consecutive years first round picks and and again I, I don't want to get too much into the detail of this but only to say that if you see the Miami Heat trade their 2021 first round pick on Wednesday night for a future first round pick and you're sitting there like why'd they do that that doesn't make any sense why wouldn't you get a player what's the difference so after Wednesday night they can no longer trade future draft picks unless you get way, way into the future. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if they did one of two things or both. If they use that 20th pick to trade back into the later first round, mm -hmm. or if they use that 20th pick and trade it back even further into the second, second round, round. Yeah. try to get a second round or try to get a second first round pick either next year, because they sent the 2021 pick to Oklahoma City. Um, and some of the names that you've seen them working out are guys who are currently projected uh, second-round guys. Vernon Carey is yeah. someone who, who I think is looking more and more like a potential early second-round pick, which would explain why the Heat have worked him out. And So uh, I, I think it's more likely than not that the player that puts on a Miami Heat cap on Wednesday night never plays. Never plays. And look, we see that a lot in the NBA because of the way the rules are of making trades. And you can't, you know, certain, like you said, you can't, they can't trade that pick before the draft. 
Uh, so they're going to make the pick. Now, whether they then trade the pick, we'll see. I am anxious to see, you know, with free agency starting, um, I mean, it's right around the corner. I mean, the 20th, you could start basically negotiating. The 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, right, that's when you can actually sign on the dotted line and make deals official. Training camps begin on the 1st. It is going to be, we love the NBA offseason. Well, guess what? This is the NBA offseason on steroids yep. because it's like on just boom. Yep. Everything's happening in a two-week stretch. The draft, free agency, teams report, play play basketball. Uh, the Heat are in good position. I, I, I've been asked this a lot, and I think you'll agree with me. Pat Riley had that statement. I remember you did a story on it for Sports Sunday, and we also talked about it, uh, you know, like I said, off-camera we've talked about it, that the whole running back theory, that Pat Riley, ESPN made this big deal, like, oh, Pat Riley's fine with running yeah. back the Heat. I don't think he's running back the Heat. I think the Heat will make a move. And I, when I say make a move, I don't mean draft somebody at 20 and keep it. I mean, there will be a veteran added, probably in that, that the group of names you just mentioned. I think Danilo would be great. I think if Danilo said he wanted to be here, and he said after we, maybe after what he saw what the Heat did last year, he said, man, if I'm going to go to a place, let me go to a place like that with that winning style and culture. Yep. Uh, I think he would be the one if I had to put my money on it. And I think he would absolutely help the Heat. Uh, I think when you look at their own free agents, you start getting into like, okay, so what happens? Goran's coming back. I don't think there's any question that. They're going to figure out a way to keep Goran. Uh, Myers, I think, is not coming back. I, I think unless something fell through somewhere along the way, I don't think Myers is coming back. I think Jay Crowder is when you really start getting into, like, the what-ifs. Yeah. You know, what, what if this happens? Does that mean it's not going to happen for Jay? Does Jay then take the route somewhere else? I think those are the questions you really have. Are they going to make a splash now and get Bradley Beal or Giannis Antetokounmpo or, you know, James Harden or, you know, all these superstars that couldn't be on the move from now to the next, you know, offseason? Probably not now. No, I don't see them in that position. But they're going to make a move. This team, I don't think they're running back the same team. No, and, you know, you mentioned Jay Crowder. And uh, the, the one guy who I think, unfortunately, is going to end up leaving is Derek Jones Jr. And and you understand why. He's I think gonna... that's kind of been in the cards the whole time. Yeah, time, and, and, you know, it's a bummer. He's you know, really good friends with Bam and, and I know a fan favorite and all that. And yet, I, I think... For as much as they value his defense and, and uh, you know, how much he's grown, I think when you look at him, if you're choosing between Derek Jones Jr., for instance, and he's probably going to get a, a decent offer elsewhere, mm -hmm. and a Wesley Matthews, well, Wesley Matthews is your classic 3 and D guy. I mean, he's somebody who you put out there, and he spreads the floor, and he plays phenomenal defense. And so that... Those are the types of decisions that, that the Heat are in a position to make where, okay, you know, it's going to be a real bummer to see Derek Jones Jr. walk out. But if you're signing Wes Matthews for what may even be less money, and it makes you better now, it makes your core better now. Um, yeah, okay, so you mentioned Beal and, and Giannis and, and, and James Harden. I don't buy into the James Harden stuff. I don't, I don't know the fit. Um, I, and I, by the way, I don't... I've never understood the, the thought that James Harden can't play in an offense where the ball is moving quickly and still be very, very effective. I just don't see that when you combine his salary mm -hmm. with the amount of years committed to him and, and basically like that's it, that's your move. Um, so I don't see that happening. The honest thing, I, I just... You know, you, you kind of follow the ebbs and the flows of, of what the information is. Well, two weeks out. ago it was like Giannis wants to be here. Then it was like, well, Giannis is still figuring things out. Now this week it's like Giannis is pretty much putting the pressure on the Bucks to make a move. Yes. Point being is you can't – obviously you got to leave the window open, the door yep. open for Giannis, but you can't plan your entire future around Giannis because you have no control whether you're going to get him or not. So here's the one that, that I find fascinating and that I would, I would love to see. And, you know, Bradley Beal, I think, 
would be right up there at the top for the Heat. And yet I, I think they're probably more likely to see what a Beal and Wall pairing with, with Wall being healthy finally and the rest of that roster, see what they can do early in the season before they make a move. If they, for whatever reason, find out that Giannis is gone, right, mm-hmm. like he's going to stay in Milwaukee, I call New Orleans and I see what's it going to take for Drew Holiday. I, I just think when you're looking at – That's lost a little steam, though, hasn't it? it, it I feel has, like that – I think because there have been – what it takes to get yes. him is a lot more than I think people expected. And, and Maybe not the heat, but from the outside looking in, it's like, man, you're going to use your assets, your main assets to get Drew Holiday? Really? We, you and I both agree we like him, and I think the heat would value him. But I just feel like that's just not what you want to use your all your assets and for I most believe, of your assets. And I think part of the, the thing that was playing into that, too, was you know he has a player option for 21-22. And so not only giving up your assets, but if he suffers an injury and all of a sudden he has to opt into that last year, you're, you're done. Everything else agency. is screwed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I get it. But, man, uh, let me just say this. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see him go to Brooklyn. I do not want to see Drew Holiday in Brooklyn. I don't want to see the Boston. You know, and then you hear the you know the rumors of James Harden in Brooklyn, uh, which is a possibility. I think Harden's getting moved. That wouldn't scare me. I I, in Brooklyn. Durant, Harden, great offense, and and who plays defense? No, nobody. But you know, they look. This is the East will be tougher. I think we can all agree on that. Teams are are going to be healthier. The season, we'll see how the season plays out. As far as it's a 72 game season, but as far as you know, whether there's fans or what ends up happening as the season continues because of COVID, but. you know, the Heat have to change things up, and I think they will. Draft is Wednesday night. We'll obviously have it covered, and then by next podcast, we'll have a better idea of what's going on. We'll obviously discuss that. And then let's put the finishing touches on this podcast by talking about what the Marlins did, and it doesn't take much other than to say kudos to the Miami Marlins for doing something that I think is long overdue, uh, but I, you, it was almost, it's like anything. Until someone does it and there's that first and that somebody says, hey, let's, let's break that glass ceiling, let's get through there, uh, it needs to be done. It doesn't happen, yep. and the Marlins finally did, and that's hiring Kim Eng as their general manager, uh, the first female general manager in the history of any of the major sports. Uh, number one, kudos for the Marlins, but I think the thing too, Clay, and you're talking to, you know, we're two guys here on a podcast that could start a, a women's basketball team with our children because all we have is it's girls. Yeah. The, the reality is this. It's great what they did. It's great that they've broken that barrier for women, but Kim Eng is almost overqualified. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say. The couple of people I've talked to that are in baseball or have been in baseball say this this woman has been in this sport for 30 years at the highest of levels. This isn't just a feel-good story. Marlins got themselves a really good general manager. If you had reversed, first let's take, take gender out of the equation for a minute. If you had reversed the order of her last three jobs and she had been in the front offices of Major League Baseball and then worked as assistant general manager for the Dodgers and Yankees. Mm-hmm. She would have been perhaps the most highly coveted candidate Absolutely. for a general manager job on the market. Um, I think, you know, because she had been working in the front offices of Major League Baseball, when you look at all this, these hot stove, mm-hmm. oh, who's, who's the hot name or whatever, those hot names are usually assistant general managers, and you know nobody ever thinks to look in the major league baseball, baseball front plan. office. So if you reversed her roles, I mean, this wouldn't even she be would a, be interviewing for every job. She you know? she has worked in in two of the greatest organizations in baseball. Also worked for the White Sox, and and then worked in the front offices of baseball, and is universally uh, uh, respected. And so 
I just feel like what, what was the greatest part of this was that if you took gender out of the equation, it was still a really, a really, really good, good hire. Yeah. It was a good hire. And, and then you add this part of it, and I just I think it's fantastic. And I also think that, you know, we're not going to pretend to know her. We haven't gotten the chance to yet as we're recording this on Sunday night. And yet everything you hear about her and you read about her is just this dogged determination mm -hmm. and uh you know she said the other day in her statement that you know her her goal is to bring championship baseball to miami and yeah. i just feel and like think, that's going to match perfectly with jeter I, I do and i think you know with gary dembo uh doing so much in the marlins front office and the way they built things with the scouting department agree or disagree with the way things started and i think a lot of people thought oh they're just getting rid of all these pieces the marlins did it the right way of rebuilding the farm system of putting baseball people men and women around them that they wanted to have that vision and Derek Jeter has his vision and he has his general manager so congrats to her congrats to the Marlins on again making that progressive move and really making history and at the same time getting one themselves one heck of a general manager meanwhile Dolphins six and three it's on the Denver heat busy draft week we'll see what happens and we will certainly be talking about all those stories and more right here on the Miami Sports Podcast